0: James DeFiori, and this is Black Bolt. Well, today, I, and this is really kind of interesting for me because, uh, you know, as everyone knows, I've been covering the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, a.k.a. the Plymouth Brethren Crazy Cult, for the last, I guess, year and a half or so. And uh, yesterday, we had a woman named Emily, Emily Victoria on, who was not a member of the church, but dated a member of the church, something that is extraordinarily rare if you're Uh, If you're following the cult, uh, we never call it, but I just did that. And today uh, we are going to sort of continue that um, nibbling on the edges of the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. Our guest today has a podcast. It's called the Wicked Podcast. He's also a former religious extremist himself, a former member of the Plymouth Brethren, but not the same sect as the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. But I know he's got a lot to say, excuse me, about what it's like to be in a cult and to sort of see both sides of that fence between uh being inside and being outside so would you please welcome to the show his name is mike moore mike how are you buddy
1: I'm great how you doing james
0: i'm doing very well so uh, first of all uh, how did we find each other because i think you, were you tuning into the plymouth brethren stuff on my podcast or were, were you fr- uh, tuning into the get a life podcast uh, how did we find each other
1: um i saw you online i was doing a podcast um kind of deconstructing having been raised in a moderate relatively moderate brethren group and i found out about these crazy brethren people and uh that we'd only (laughs) heard rumors of and i wanted to know more more about them and i've met a lot of them online
0: you you told me before going on air that there is a sort of plymouth brethren spectrum Mm -hmm. can you explain that to me
1: yeah um basically you know in the early 1800s you're Sorry to go back so far in time, but um, there's was, there was people who were dissatisfied with being regular Catholics or regular Anglicans or whatever. And they'd say, well, Sunday, we're also going to do our own stuff. And they would form all, all these different little communities. And it's one of those. So it was a bunch of mostly Irish Anglicans um, that did their own Bible studies and their own things. And at first it wasn't supposed to be church specific you could go to whatever church you want and then you do stuff with them bible studies and this kind of thing but increasingly it has become more of a church and it keeps it has arguments they split and split and split and usually the split one side is more lenient and one side is more strict and the one that you're most familiar with is the strictest one i've ever heard of
0: how does it differ from okay so you were born inside york your what is it like mm-hmm. cult light is it a sect yeah. like well, how would you call it
1: yeah, I mean, I, I'd go so far as to say there were things that are a bit culty, but there's a few key features that it doesn't have in common with the PBCC okay. uh, that, that, for instance, it doesn't have any kind of a global like leader who has any control over anybody. Mm-hmm. So even though it could get very strict in your neck, neck of the woods and people's lives would be very controlled by the locals, there's no sort of global thing. So that's better, I think.
0: Yeah, so give me an idea then of what it was like for you growing up
1: because you were born into it um and mm-hmm.
0: you know if, if it wasn't uh it wasn't as extreme as the PBCC but uh what was the day to day like for you?
1: Well, I've found when when talking to people with fairly strict Jehovah's Witness parents or Mormon parents, um Orthodox Jewish parents, uh Sikh, Muslim, whoever's got strict parents who really want to do what a religion says, uh it's like that. So if you're in a regular church, you get Christmas and you get Christmas presents and you get Santa. Well, I didn't get Christmas. I got presents, but we weren't allowed to call them Christmas presents. And if I had been in the PBCC, there would have been no presents. So I'm kind of in the middle there of, I wasn't allowed to dress up for Halloween, but we gave out candy to other kids at Halloween, but I wasn't allowed to to dress up. PBCC, there'd be no candy for anybody. So, um, you know, I got birthdays, they got no birthdays. So it's, um, and you know if you, if you talk to people who are in Jehovah's Witness or anything like that, mm. a lot of little things like Mormons can't have coffee or you know Jews can't have bacon and you know Muslims can't have um, alcohol you know there's there's things um, but there, there's things that kind of make you shake your head though um, there's mainstream culture and then there's things that you raise your kids and you don't want them to be able to to sort of move freely in their regular culture
0: yeah were you shielded from pop culture and things like that?
1: Yeah. Like the thing that really stung for me, and this is before internet was that when, well, yeah, yeah, of course. So you don't want any of that music that has any kind of guts to it. It better be some real easy listening Lawrence Welk stuff or some Christian stuff. That's not rock and roll. Uh, also, uh, when I was five, dad got rid of the TV because, uh, the TV had all sorts of bad stuff on it. Um, so a lot of heavy control. So no movies, no, no going to high school dances. Um, basically no partying. If it's about partying or entertainment, I think you had mentioned before we came on, but not following your heart, not trusting if it feels good, you should sacrifice that to God.
0: Yeah. Um, How old were you when you started to think, yeah, this isn't for me?
1: Um, I wasn't conventional. Like most people, what they do is they would start rebelling and sneaking around and stuff. I started arguing. So My problem wasn't so much that I was looking at them and saying, this isn't for me. I was like, you guys are full of bullshit is what's going on here. Because what I do is I would listen to what they said and look at what they did. I'd listen to what they said and then I'd look at what they told me to do. And I, I'm, I'm a bit obsessive about finding contradictions and hypocrisies. And also I grew up memorizing the Bible from before I could read. We were being, people would read the Bible to us and we'd memorize it. So I knew the Bible inside and out like you're supposed to. And they weren't doing that stuff. I can tell. That's why I had a problem with them, uh, because the Bible is part of wisdom literature. Wisdom literature is about asking more questions, not about stopping thinking. Wisdom literature is about, for the rest of your life, trying to work out your stuff your way privately with the understanding that you'll find the new thing now and again. What organized religion, of course, would do, which they're doing to us, is shut off the thinking, just shut up, stop thinking, here's the answer, and now you're done, do you agree with us? And that is not wisdom.
0: Yeah, uh, and, and it led you eventually, and we'll go back to some of your stuff in your childhood, but it, read, it led you eventually to write this book, I Was a Teenage Pharisee. Mm -hmm. lying hypocrite offspring of vipers whitewashed tomb. What does that mean? That subtitle?
1: Okay, so I'm quoting Jesus there. So uh, when Jesus, yeah, so we had to memorize this stuff. So when Jesus was walking around, there was women, there was people from Ethiopia, there was people who were Greeks or, or Romans, all sorts of people who weren't Jews. And he was basically saying, treat everybody the way they'd want to be treated, sort of accept everybody. I mean, he was a Jew and they're being Jewish, but he was saying the proper wise way is to tolerate everybody. Um, And he didn't criticize people, but there was this one group, and this was the religious rite of his time. And they were Pharisees. So the Pharisees, it was performative. So basically, he coined the word hypocrite. It's a Greek word, Hippocrates. So what it means is actor, like wearing a mask, because they would wear a mask and they would do these plays. And so what he was saying is when these guys do religion, it's an act. It's for show. They're doing it for you to see.
0: Like a televangelist kind of thing?
1: Yeah, well, he was noticing they would do things like if they're going to pray, wouldn't be private. They'd actually hire a guy to ring a bell saying they're going through the streets, they're going to pray, check them out, they're going to pray. And he'd say, don't do that. Make it a private spiritual thing. Like, Don't don't make it a show. That cheapens it, it ruins it. If you're going to pray, do it in your room privately. So, that basically that's... It's I like was raised... ancient...
0: Sorry, I don't, I don't mean to... Well, I guess I do mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Of this, but you got it. It's sort of like uh, ancient uh, virtue signaling.
1: It, absolutely. I, I think that people don't change a lot. And so when I look around me today, I see terrifying echoes of where with me, it was my Plymouth brother and aunts looking over your shoulder and wondering if that music or that joke or that movie was problematic or offensive, and maybe you wouldn't be allowed to do it. There's a lot of middle-aged women who are doing that nowadays, who it's not for religious reasons, but it's the same psychological makeup that makes you go around wrecking people's fun, essentially. It would be really fun to go to
0: like um, church uh, back in the day in in your upbringing and just just bring a ghetto blaster and just put it down in the middle of the pew and just play two live crew. Hey, we want some pussy, just right. to see what would happen. You know,
1: no, I'd be more like I'd I'd be I'd be bringing some um, Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, yeah, you that know? would work. Too. Uh,
0: I mean, how many would... times can you say "fuck you"? I won't do what you tell me, but the context that, that's is the perfect. song. Yes, yeah.
1: and and I mean ultimately. My cousin, who's now a very annoyingly preachy atheist, um, after being raised Plymouth Brethren, because that's what it does, but he quite wisely said that it that kind of upbringing raises kids who are liars or rebels. Either they're sneaking around, doing stuff, and then pretending they're holy church people, or they're just, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. And I wasn't really typical. Um, I was the one that would say, okay, you want me to follow the rules? Let's sit down and have a chat about those rules and where they came from and what you exactly expect from. And you know, you'll be unsurprised to hear that they don't want to have that conversation. They don't want to explain themselves.
0: Yeah, I I don't remember what TV show it was or maybe it was a movie. But it was about a a Jewish guy who when he when he was a kid, he was talking about how he would always give the rabbis a hard time. And his mom comes in once and and he's like. He's like your son he's he's questioning the the Torah he's saying that there's things in there that don't make sense and the mom was like well do they do you <laughs> have a point right you know what were your parents like
1: um i think they were they're pretty i'm not i use the word simple not to say they're stupid but they're simple in the sense that they just went along and they wanted they wanted to, they trusted they really thought that if we do what's expected of us we will be valued members of this group. And in fact, like any human group, there was last names. You had to have the right last name. You had to have a certain amount of money. Um, That stuff covered a multitude of sins. And so if you wanted to break the rules, you got the right last name, your dad's the right guy, you got some money, you could break a lot of rules.
0: Yeah, that's uh, the hypocrisy is really the main thing. I think whenever I think of religious people, devout, pious I fucking hate that word. If someone ever introduced someone to me and said, Oh, you'll love him, he's very pious. Yeah. I immediately will write that person off. You know I the word should... that
1: Steve you know the word that Stephen Fry used to criticize virtue signaling is the word sanctimonious, which is yeah. very similar that sanctimonious means you have this self-satisfaction that you're better. And so you just use the word hypocrite. And part of me writing this the book about uh, Pharisees was Jesus coined the word just for them, hypocrisy Hippocrates. And we use the word to mean that they have contradictions. We use the word to mean that they don't follow their own rules. What he was saying, he didn't care whether they follow their own rules or not. He was saying, you have all these rules to put on some kind of a virtue signaling performance, and this is not good. And he he broke character a lot to tell everybody, you got to be better than those guys. Those guys are supposed to be the good guys. you got to do better than that. That's not or, good.
0: Where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in Smith Falls, Ontario. So Smith Falls is so an Escarpment town.
0: Oh no, Smith Falls. Why am I thinking it's an Escarpment town? Sorry, um, no. It's
1: about it's about forty minutes from Ottawa.
0: Okay, and when as you got older, uh, you were rebellious. You you were questioning uh, the doctrine or or the, the you know the the take on the religion, the take on Christianity that you were brought up with. What are your beliefs now, if any?
1: Um. Well, the answers turn to questions in a good way. And, um, I'm pretty philosophical, I guess people say. And so I've recently been redefining what I mean by the word belief and what I mean by the word faith. I think a lot of these words, we invert the meaning. So, um, something that Jean Piaget is famously quoted as saying that people don't have ideas, ideas have people. And I think that's kind of how it is. And so if you find that you gravitate to optimistic Worldview, or pessimistic, or the pursuit of wisdom, or hedonism, whatever you do, I don't think you pick that. I don't think you get argued into that. I don't think you get convinced of that. I don't think that's a reasoned decision. I think that you just find that it's in you, that it 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 meshes with you. So when it comes to me, um, I'm pretty sure there's a god of some kind. I'm also pretty sure that nobody knows much about him if there is a god. And I'm very comfortable to think about there not being a God and there being a God. That's that's totally fine with me. And I don't need to defend the belief or or, or whatever. But I'm very open to the idea that, yeah, there probably is a God, I imagine. And I'm also aware that it's odd that I even have that, given what I've been through. Uh, most people in my position, like cousins of mine, they're big time atheists, you know. Um, and, you know, I, I like Christopher Hitchens as much as the next guy. I love definitely, definitely, <laughs> definitely wish that Richard Dawkins had died instead of him, I'm afraid, but Richard Dawkins is Richard Dawkins is no is no Christopher Hitchens. And you know why Christopher Hitchens was so cool?
0: I, I know several reasons, but please go ahead. his yes. brother yeah, Did he you grew see up that arguing
1: Yes, yeah, grow, growing up arguing with Peter Hitchens, and so on the one hand he didn't play any punches. on the other hand, he knew what he's talking about, and he had a lifetime of experience talking about these things, and you got to respect that. I enjoy,
0: I enjoy the, uh, I guess I do it maybe on an annual basis. Now I used to be, oh my God, at the beginning I was, I was like, so I, I got to know Christopher Hitchens, uh, in the digital sense. Like i sorry, let me rephrase that. I got to know of Christopher Hitchens in the digital sense, I guess in like 1996 or 97 and I would see him on, um, um, what's it called the press meet the press. Mm-hmm. and I would see him on um, public television in the States. And I was just like, who is this snarky British guy that's just tearing the shit out of Bill Clinton? This is yeah. amazing. I love this. And then I uh, i don't remember what year, it might've been 99 or something when uh, the missionary position came out, which was his uh, critique of uh, Mother Teresa, which is hilarious. Um, just the title alone, you just buy it for that. And then when 9-11 happened and the war in Iraq happened, And I watched, he's actually the reason why I am so comfortable telling people, and it's true, I'm not a progressive, I'm not a conservative, all that shit can fuck off because sometimes I might lean a little left on an issue, sometimes I might lean a little right on an issue, and I don't want to be put in a box. And when Christopher Hitchens um, came up with his list of reasons as to why he supported the Iraq war, even though I strongly disagreed with him, I was like finally a person on that side of the argument that's making a cogent argument as to why they feel the way they feel. Mm-hmm. And we and I feel like um I feel like so we're we're kind of sidetracking here but I like the way the conversation's going because mm-hmm. um there <clears throat> we we missed his voice during the Trump years. Yep. In fact, I don't even know how popular he would have been if, if Christopher Hitchens was alive in 2014, 2015, 2016. I'm not even sure Trump would be president. That's how powerful yeah. that guy's voice was.
1: And I mean, I grew up, as you know, with tribalism where you have to all have the same opinion and it's about continually having these little tests to make sure that you are legitimately a member, that you're legitimately, you know, you still think correctly and having your thinking checked. So I'm done with that things that I'm done with after, because I had to go to church five times a week. Right. So at least five hours of church every single week, my entire, I had that instead of a childhood
0: It's like fucking Memorizing. waterboarding a child. Jesus.
1: Yes. And yeah. so now I don't care what your thing is. If you want to preach at me, I can tell when I'm being preached at and it's like, no, I'm not going to sit and listen to you preach to me.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I don't blame you. Is it, uh, so I want to, I want to go back to the religious stuff though for a second. So, you sometimes think there is a God and sometimes you think there isn't before you answer. I just want to tell you, I don't think there is one, but I I'm not as militant as I used to be Mm -hmm. because once I start going down that rabbit hole and, and, and this is hardly unique, but I don't know how something comes from nothing, but even the answer God doesn't satisfy me. No, I I don't know how all of this started. I don't know why we're here. Mm -hmm. I don't know why whatever created us, what created that thing. And so on and so on and so on. And it makes me feel um, excited not to know the answer to that question.
1: I am I have a lot of sympathy with agnostics. Um, most of the agnostics I talk to are really kind of atheists. They're pretty much saying, I don't think there's a God, but I don't think I can prove there's not a God. And I'm kind of the opposite that I think there's a God, but I definitely can't prove there's a God. And I don't think anyone can. I don't believe it's possible to prove there's a God. And so for me, it's like the weather you look inside yourself, what do you believe? You have to look and see what you believe, and it's it's news to you and you don't choose it. and you definitely aren't following it because of reason and logic. Anyone who thinks that that their their personal beliefs that they were argued into them, they were not.
0: yeah, it's it, it's very strange. and, and uh, the older I get, the the I don't soften on religion. I soften on believers Mm -hmm. because i used to be pretty mean (laughs) to to people that believed when they wanted to engage in in talking about religion because i would always warn them first i would just be like i'm gonna tell you exactly how i feel but i'm not attacking Mm -hmm. you i'm attacking the ideas that you're talking about which you didn't invent so i hope that's okay it was never okay um you know and and so eventually i just i kind of just stopped talking about religion
1: we start out that way. We start with mean-spiritedness and mocking, which is not mature, but that's that's what a 20-year-old does. And so mm. I was actually, the reason why I picked up on that wicked person is that's a Bible verse that justifies shunning me globally for the rest of my life. Because I wrote a parody of a church outreach pamphlet when I was 23, because I was right on board with South Park, Family Guy, Simpsons. Yeah. We're all about mocking. Let, let's take something and go, you're like this and like, ha ha. And, you know, Saturday Night Live and all of that was about mocking stuff. And by the time Trump was trying to get elected for the first time, I kind of looked and said, is this seriously your guy's weapon, Democrats? Like, you don't want him to get elected and your main weapon is mockery? You think that's going to fix the world? Because that's been tried. And that did not work for Generation Xers. Mockery has not done anything but make us laugh. And hopefully we're outgrowing it slightly. Sometimes you got to have serious points and say them seriously.
0: That's that's very true, but uh, and I do blame The Simpsons and South Park and things like that um, for creating a massive sect of cynicism inside Generation X. Like we, mm-hmm. our our language was sarcasm and jadedness <laughs> when yep. we were growing up. And I remember when I went to college, uh, I was raised in Whit- Whitby, born in Montreal, raised in Whitby, and I went to college at Niagara College. So I lived in like Welland, which was awful. I don't recommend that to anybody for anybody. But when I was there, my roommate and I, a guy who I'm still friends with to this day, Dave, I've known him since I was like six or seven. uh, After a month or whatever, the girl that I was seeing just turns to us and is like, you guys are really negative. And I remember her saying that. And I remember at first I was about to just start cutting her up because that's what we did back in the day, right? We just busted balls. And then I kind of stopped myself and I was just like, I think she's right, right? I think we're negative people and you know, and it took me a while to get to sort of get out of that. Um, are you finding that in adulthood that there is a lot more of a, a rewarding, there's, there's more of a reward to to not have stringent beliefs or do you think uh, for some, or, or just for yourself that uh, it's actually sort of like uh, uh, ironically a, a blessing?
1: Well, I mean, for me, my beliefs are my own. And although my group wanted to control them, the problem was that they couldn't. Um, and I had competing beliefs um, to the, to them. It wasn't that I was a no to their belief package. Um, in the comments, some clever people have said that most churches are 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 still performative. Then, yeah, and um, talking about control, yeah, they're about that. And so, totally agree with this. And. Because, you know, the famous saying that we don't organize sex, so why do we organize religion? Um, Because, yeah, it's something you should do naturally. It should be a thing where you express yourself in a way that's deep and personal. And the idea of a church and like a global thing that you police people to make sure that they talk and live the proper way. um, This is weird. It's not how it's supposed to be.
0: How is it supposed to be?
1: Like I said, it's supposed to be like sex. It's supposed to be personal. It's supposed to be something that you don't invite people into your bedroom to watch. It's supposed to be a thing that's not performative, that's the most personal thing about you that says more about who you are. It's news to you who you are. You spend your whole life working it out. That's yeah, what it's you supposed know what? to be.
0: I, I agree with that. Before we go on, I just want to let Jen Waddell yeah. know. Yeah, I totally just fanboyed hitch, and I'll do it probably till my dying breath because And so did uh, I. Yeah. Um the um uh, the idea of prayer, the the thing that always got me about uh, the, the the Christians who were battling against municipal or provincial governments or whatever it was, uh, to this is the United States and Canada, to include prayer in school was always so hilarious to me because the only thought, the overriding thought that I had is like, what is stopping you from praying? It's also I, directly
1: I, against the specific teachings of Jesus in the book of Matthew who said, don't do that.
0: Is that the heed to Caesar verse?
1: No, it's the, the the King James translation is go and pray in your closet. It's what I was referring to before. And closet just means your bedroom. So it's basically saying, pray in your bedroom. Don't, don't go do it publicly. Don't make a show of it.
0: Prayer and masturbation together. Right.
1: Exactly. The sex and and the religion. Um, But basically, yeah, the idea is that with something like prayer, if we see you doing it, the question is, well, you're just doing it so I can watch, aren't you? Like well, you're also
0: like, doing it so you can indoctrinate. Like that whole yes, prayer in school are. is about the collective, right? It's not yes, about it the individual.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But and I was, so like, I, like I was always, I was always saying to people, like I knew people that wanted to pray in school, and I was like, "So fucking pray already!"
1: Like, right? No, who cares?
0: Oh, well, it's not the same if everyone's not doing it. I'm like, well, then it's not really about you. It's about you wanting us to be like you.
1: Yeah, and the idea of synchronized prayer—I've never heard of that before either. Yeah, that is, is weird, for me. It's it? very private um I mean, if, if prayer is a thing for for somebody, it's going to be a very personal thing, very individual thing. It's not going to be something you can do in a group of fifty people.
0: Do you ever feel that prayer is like? Because I always had a problem with it because of the worshiping part, or or almost like you're trying to get a genie to grant you some wishes. Like you're praying for your mother to pull out of the coma, and it's just like, right? The fuck do you think this is? Like
1: what? Know, I, what like- I would connect it to. Because I've struggled with that, obviously. Because if he's omnipotent and can do whatever he wants, why, is, why does he care? I have to ask him first before I get stuff. Like, that doesn't make sense. I don't so, think he can do whatever he wants if he
0: exists. I right. think it's like watching a TV show or, or, or putting the bread you. in the Petri dish and watching the mold grow, but not being able to stop it unless I agree with you.
1: All the, there's And there's a. It's like it's like any nerd property like doctor who or star trek or whatever that there's there's protocols. There's, if there is a God, he the doesn't just directive. do it. He doesn't. Yeah. Yes. God has some, some equivalent. Um, but when it comes to this, the idea of blessing in the sense of wishing people well, I think that's something our culture could revisit. We, we do a lot of cursing. I like, fuck you. Or that that's the first thing we think, but do we wish people well? We say goodbye. We don't even know that means God be with you. We know Viacondias means God go with you or go with God. But the idea of, I like you, so I wish you success in your day. You know, your mom is sick, so may that go well. That That's an ancient Jewish, Christian, Muslim thing of putting a blessing on somebody personally. It's, not, it's just well-wishing. We don't do that enough. And the idea of, I'm actually going to ask God to do it and hope he does. Maybe he won't, but I'm going to ask. I think that that's a touching gesture to do for a human being
0: yeah i don't know if i i don't know i i see where you're coming from i don't know if i necessarily agree i, I think it's something to say hey i uh, wish you well have a good one like i mean i think it's just a figure of speech by now if you really want to make a difference in someone's life in my personal opinion when they walk away you should be like make good decisions <laughs> yeah, or something like that well
1: and and the blessing equivalent of that is may you make good decisions if you put may you in front of it it makes it a blessing
0: you sound like my uh my grade two teacher Mrs. right Jenin. she used to say things just like that she had a bun really? too sorry her about bun, that and her bun had like she had a bun holder you know what that is really is it, it was it like, like made a... out of like pewter wire kind of thing i've never and she seen stuffed that. her bun in it oh, it was very odd
1: jen That's just very... said say i love you well yeah I mean that dudes are a bit squeamish with that, but that's, that's essentially what it is. Like, may things go well for you, you know. Uh, women do something, but mostly women that always surprises me. Uh, you go up to them and you say, you know, I'm sick, and they say, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm thinking, well, why are they didn't make me sick? Why are they apologizing? And they literally mean, I'm sorry that this thing that wasn't my thing happened. And you can do that in a negative or a positive direction. You can you can say, may you get better, and, and I'm sorry that you're not well. And this is all a way of saying I love you, isn't it? Really,
0: there are. It's so interesting that you said. I just watched something um, not too long ago, but it was talking about how just these small tweaks of the way that we can turn a phrase can change an entire vibe of a conversation. Like, if for example, if we're talking about um, if we're talking about prayer in school, and say you're for it and I'm against it, and there and 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 you say something like, you know, it it gets. Uh, people to to sort of come together at the beginning of the day and start the day uh you know in, in a positive direction or whatever and even if i disagree with that instead of saying yeah but you say yes and
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you can make the exact same point and the person won't feel like they have to be defensive and i try to use that now uh, as mm-hmm. much as i can because i used to be a very vicious arguing kind of person mm-hmm. i don't feel like i am anymore I know that Jen's going to say something right now, but I, I don't really feel like I'm, I'm much of an arguer, uh, argumentative person anymore. Because, um, first of all, all of all, the arena is social media now, and there's almost no point. You ever right. tried to be nice on social media? Yeah, It doesn't work. It fucking doesn't work at all. Like it no. really doesn't, because everyone thinks you're being cheeky.
1: Yeah, right? and I mean, no one, no one can read what your intent is, and people like to ascri- imagine they can read your mind and tell you what they think your intent is.
0: Okay, um, like for example, um, Jen Waddell says, also patriarchy because we take on emotional labor. But yes, this is referring, I guess, to women uh, uh, being saying things like, I'm sorry. I would disagree with basically every syllable in that sentence, but I used to be mean about it. And now I can just say Jen Waddell happens to be incorrect.
1: <laughs> well, you know what a teenage Pharisee does.
0: <laughs> what what?
1: I see a bunch of religious language from someone else's religion and I respect it and leave it alone.
0: Really? I just
1: saw a bunch of little words that could have told me someone was Jewish or Jehovah's Witness or Plymouth Brethren. And I said, Oh, there's a whole belief system. And I don't, it doesn't resonate with me, a bunch of it. You know, I can sympathize. But generally speaking, someone basically just started talking Jesus speak. And I said, okay. And I left it alone. Yeah. Other things I can respond to, like uh, Stone Child Creations uh, asked, why waste time worrying about it? And that's a very loaded question.
0: How so? Well...
1: I get that. Well, wait, wait,
0: wait. I don't know if it's loaded. I, I think I agree with what you're saying. I, I would find I would just disagree with that um, because, first of all, I don't think you're worrying about it. I no, think you're thinking about it.
1: Right? I'm writing books about it, but but yeah. and and writing songs about it. And some people would say, "Well, why are you doing that? Why don't you write songs about drinking whiskey?" It's like I can do that too, but I'll do what I want. Thank you. You know. And so essentially, why? Why? Well, it interests me, and there's I've got lots of good reasons why it interests me. The other thing is that it affects a lot of people besides me, and it's not really in the past. And so. Like I said, everywhere I turn, despite the fact that I'm not a member of my Plymouth Brethren assembly with my aunts looking over my shoulder to see what movies I'm watching, yeah. there's other people looking over my shoulder to see what movies I'm watching. And, you know, when I wa- first watched South Park and there was like Kyle's mom, I recognized <laughs> that character. <laughs> <laughs> the world is filled with Kyle's moms right now.
0: Yeah, yeah
1: 100%. So what, what are we going to do about Kyle's mom? You know? that, there's a question. What, how do you treat Kyle's mom?
0: Yeah, it's 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 a funny thing to be. Like my my I guess she's my ex-mother-in-law. Woo-hoo. Um now she's she's religious. And uh you know, we had it we kind of had it out once because my kids are not going to be raised to be religious. And and people are always like, "Don't you think they should have to make the choice?" And I'm like, "Yep, yeah. when their frontal lobe fully develops, they can go ahead and decide to make a choice. But until then, I will tell them." Um and I have told them since they were like in utero uh, uh, that you know some people believe in god daddy doesn't and here's why and i tell them mm-hmm. so now my daughter's like daddy is it okay that i don't believe in god but i believe in heaven i'm like sure that's what you yeah. want to do there's nothing wrong with that but when they asked me about god like my son came home once and started t- talking about how like uh, somebody at school was talking about jesus and this and that and he was trying to you know because they they take on the data that they get and they 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 try to um expel it from their brains as if they're uh you know professionals in, <laughs> on the matter that's what yeah. kids do and so yeah. he comes down and he's like dad god sees all and he knows exactly what's going on and i'm like whoa, 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 whoa. Where, where did you get this stuff and some mm-hmm. kid at school said it or whatever and so you know we, we we talked for for like 10 20 minutes about it and you know by the time we were done you know he was back to being a good old atheist again but you know, I don't think it's fair for children to have to make a choice between no. omnipotence and a lack of omnipotence when their little brains can't fucking figure out why the why they uh you know, why the spider monkey you know throws his shit at people. You know, like I it just they don't know. There's so
1: many things the the thing that I didn't hear enough at church. That would be one of the most spiritual things you'd hope from a human being is i don't know and i'm trying to figure it out i think you put those two things together i don't know and i'm trying to figure it out i'm still thinking about it i will think about it for the rest of my life this is something that's genuinely something i can respect so when that's i was so- kid, socratic
0: right that's socrates the wisest are so, those that know so, they don't somewhat. know
1: yeah yeah and jesus quoted him saying that very thing in the bible but um and so did paul the apostle but probably quoting through jewish teachers though but um, when when I was a kid, I was told with authority by my church that we wouldn't be alive today. Like the world would have burned up into a crisp, right? The, the world was going to burn. And, you know, then I move on from my church and Al Gore told me exactly the same thing. The polar ice caps weren't going to be there in 1998. And, um, you know, now we got Greta Thunberg. And uh, it's, you know, doomsayers, end of the world, everything's going to die. Um, I don't need to know, and I don't. And I'd be the first to say, what shape is the world going to be in in 10 years? I have no idea. Hopefully I'll still be alive and I'll find out with the rest of you.
0: Carl Sagan had a pretty good idea. I think it was 1995 or something when he said that uh, he sees a world where uh, the dumbing down of knowledge will be front and center where we won't be thinking anymore because machines will be thinking for us and all that kind of stuff. It was right when the internet came out that he wrote this. Mm -hmm. I think it was an essay and uh, it, and he and he he kind of nailed it uh, i think uh i think we're finding out a couple of things that that are, are going to be hard for um economists mostly to swallow i think which is that the internet um started off as a defense um tool uh for for the united states military uh then of course it was brought out to the world social media was probably that first stamp because i remember chat rooms chat rooms and social media threads were are nothing alike chat rooms were chat rooms where you people like you and i would go and talk the way that we're talking right now there were no fronts Mm. it wasn't like an ig world where we had to put on the best fronts in order to like whatever or make ourselves look really smart but then algorithms got put on top of social media and now i think i don't know why there isn't more of a pushback uh, from governments just against algorithms or why we can't opt out of the algorithm at any time that we want on facebook or twitter or wherever instagram doesn't matter and i think uh we're gonna find out and i think we're already we already know that algorithms are really the biggest problem Mm -hmm. as far as the internet goes right now and ai i have no idea because i'm not smart enough to know about ai But that feels like another one that we're going to put on top of that. And it's going to spell danger for all of us.
1: I mean, I use IMDB as my, you know, who's the actor in the thing, you know, quick, quick reference. And it always wants me to make an account and log in. And I'm always kind of glad that you don't have to because with everything else you have to. I don't want IMDB. IMDB doesn't need to know who I am. I need to know who was the actor in The Wire. I don't need it to know who I am and i don't need it to suggest things like youtube wants to know who i am and it keeps and it's crazy to every now and then youtube thinks i'm french and start showing me french stuff or whatever it is it's fun funny to watch it get it wrong Michel but moore yeah. yes it's, it's hard to google you
0: because it's only michael moore shit that comes up
1: that's right yeah yeah uh, nothing but jokes when i cross the border to the states oh really it's a problem because if i want to have like an author i've used pen names and things but do you cross in
0: detroit because then you're just like hey welcome home mike
1: i have i have um And yeah, usually usually no matter what the politics of the border guards are, they always make some kind of joke. They're like, are you going to make a documentary about us or something? So
0: funny. So what's on tap for you then? So tell me about your podcast, first of all.
1: That's an interesting question because um, to begin with, I did an audio book of the the book that you see back there was this big thing where I essentially realized that with the internet, I could write a book with my thoughts and then I could sort of seed in all the different thoughts and responses of random people on the internet who had a similar background. And this is where I met all the people from the different kinds of brethrens and things. And someone said, make an audiobook of it. I was like, well, that's insane. But then I did it and I realized this is better. Even though you sort of can't show visual things like photographs and charts and stuff, mm-hmm. You can sing songs. You can let people read their own quotes. And so pretty much that became a podcast. Um, I wrote a lot of songs while I was working my stuff out in my 20s. And um, I'm never going to be famous for them and the world. like Everything's a drop in the bucket. But I wanted uh, something that would make me uh, work on the music. And so I thought it's not like a regular podcast. What I thought I would do is I would take what, what should have been an album and say, here's a song. And it's all about hypocrisy well i'm just gonna say all my thoughts about hypocrisy and that was kind of like season one that each episode of the podcast ends with a song the first part is what i'm thinking what, what was going on that made me write this song and then the next part is how i recorded it did i get a guy from ottawa to play blues lead guitar with me or what happened musically and then here's the song and what i quickly started doing in in uh, different seasons after that is just getting people to come in and tell me you know verbally what they had to say on different topics so rather than an interview like this like this is like a normal podcast what i do is um go through and pull out quotes on all the different topics and seed them into the different podcast episodes that address those topics and so that's what i have
0: that's interesting and they're small they're like micro podcasts
1: they used to be really small and uh, they got huge they got huge the more people i put in the more they had to say and i had you know like you had you had emily on yesterday i want to have her on she's got a story and it became a growing thing that as i did the episodes, you know, as episodes went by, new things would happen in her life that she would tell me. It's like, oh, you're back with this guy or you guys are sneaking around, you know, behind the church's back again. Oh, oh you interesting. met with So this you got or... the
0: real time, the real time yes. story, the yeah, chapters absolutely. in real time. That's amazing. Cuz her she was on yesterday for those listening at home. I think i am I'll, I'll encourage you uh, to go check out Mike's podcast. Um, it's called the Wicked Podcast, right?
1: That's right. Spelled with the two k's. Yeah. Like yeah. sound more hip hop.
0: Did you put Emily Victoria
1: no, she was actually using a pseudonym because I think there was a fair bit of hope that she could get back with the guy and that right. maybe she could join or he would leave. And one of the things that, if you want to use the C word, you know, the, the really rude C word, cult, if you want cult? to use that word. Yeah, well, no, the really rude C word is cult, no, apparently. It's cult. Oh, cult. And yeah. um, And so when, uh, in my podcast, I censor it lightly. Cleveland? It, is it yeah. Cleveland? It could, it, it could be. Um, some people it's conservative, oddly. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, with... Uh, with emily she she didn't want her name so we didn't use her name and but you you can sort of tell with the accent and the voice but um what she learned the hard way and what really despite all the propaganda you can't join that group you just can't and if you it's leave been that done, group, I've been it's been done i've been told it's been done a few times And and Not-
0: usually it's a family that is higher up on the hmm. caste system that they sort of have in the localities yeah. and it's usually something like that um where where they don't want to say no to the person because they're influential or they're but she can or whatever
1: she yeah. can't and people like her can't regular people it's not it's not the sort of a church to use another rude c word it's not the sort of a church christian community where you walk in and everyone's like welcome you can't even go in so no, she she wanted to join and she never got to attend a church service because you can't
0: yeah, the, the and That's it's, it's really interesting. Like there's a there's I'm having on uh someone tomorrow her name is Floss. Uh she's from I think it's New Zealand, could be Australia. I'm really sorry. I have a hard time distinguishing the accents between yep. New Zealand and Australia, but I'm pretty sure it's Australia. And uh she she was telling me that she worked uh, for a UBT company as like a, a an events producer for when they did their big giant ceremonious events. And I was like And, but then she couldn't, she couldn't actually go to the event that she produced. Right. And I was just like, first of all, I find it very strange that they would hire an outsider to do that specific job. And then of course she enlightened me on something that now seems painfully obvious, which is nobody inside the cult knows how to do that job. Right, you know, like they, like how do you how do you become an events producer if you're a member of the PBCC when you can't break bread with people, you don't know what music people like because you can't listen to music, you can't watch TV, you're probably drunk half the time, you know, or having babies or something, and, and no members re- can be
1: teachers, so if you want to have a brethren school, which they do have around here, none of the teachers are going to be brethren, like not that kind of brethren, because they're not allowed to go to school and become teachers,
0: yeah, or when they feed the firefighters, but they can't eat with them.
1: Right. And they don't let them go inside the church building. So they set up a tent out in the parking lot, this kind of stuff. So my group is nowhere like that. I'll tell you the yeah. cultiest thing that my group did that is, is like that, but not as bad. Um, you know, those like summer religious youth camp things Yeah. that they have. There's one around here. It's like all the churches have it. It's called Red Pine Camp. It's on Golden Lake or Silver Lake. I can never remember with all the lakes we have around here. Sounds molesty. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like Jason Voorhees might come up out of that lake. And uh, but anyway, it was like you go there and you do canoeing and stuff. But anyway, um, what they would have is, ladies people... and gentlemen, if
0: you see Theo Fleury's name carved into a bunk bed, just get the fuck out of there.
1: So right. Yeah. But yeah, when they uh, it, what what you do is you they you'd book a week and uh, kids could go from all different churches, meet Christians from all different churches, and the people who w- would be emptying the garbage and cooking the food, serving the food and teaching would all be the same people. And they'd all be from different churches and they all work together. Well, that's not the Plymouth Brethren way. So what we did when I was a teenager was we would come in and basically say, can we book it for a week where there's only us there, like no other Christians and you guys can empty the garbage. You can cook the food. But you can't teach us shit because we want to get it right. We don't trust yeah. you guys. So I would stand there beside a garbage pail, watching a guy who just emptied the garbage pail. I'd find out he was like this pastor with like a PhD in divinity. He's emptying the garbage and he wasn't allowed to teach us anything because he wasn't from the right Christian group. That wasn't right.
0: Wow. That's kind of rewarding in its own way though.
1: I guess it, it was yeah. weird. It was just the sort of thing that made me or look like, say, it's, it's like right.
0: seeing a cab driver who you, who was a doctor in Pakistan or something.
1: Kind you of. Yeah. yeah. It's where you don't give people the respect that they, they should have. And, uh, and I, I would talk to them. We weren't probably supposed to, but I would have more fun talking to outside Christians than inside Christians because I knew every single thing that inside Christians were going to say. Yeah, before they said it.
0: Well, listen, I've had a lot of fun talking to you today. I, I'm uh, we. I could have had you on a while ago. Um, life has kind of been a little strange for me in the last couple of months, as uh, you well, may not it,
1: know. May it go better.
0: You know, it's it's not even that bad. I, I'm I'm writing a piece right now, and I think I'm going to title it something the the power of being alone, or something like that. Or, or I'll, maybe I'll come up with something better because saying that out loud just made me cringe. But, um, you know, going from living with your family, um, with your kids and your significant other to living by yourself has been a very weird um, chapter because. The upsides have been just as um, elo- the upsides are just as powerful as the downsides. Mm-hmm. Um, my career, you know, the work that i'm I'm doing on the side, not just the podcast but but the book and, and the other things that I'm doing, just spiked. Uh, I credit that to be perfectly honest um, to not having uh, someone uh, in my face all the time telling me how awful I am. So mm-hmm. when, when you get rid of an abusive partner, that's sort of like that's the upside. The downside is that I'm alone all the time and I'm yeah. I'm not seeing my kids. So i i i I have this really interesting kind of life right now where I'm just sort of uh, dealing with two sides of a coin, and and I'm trying to figure out how to navigate the middle. And uh, you know I seek out advice sometimes, but I'm, I'm not the type to seek out advice anymore. And uh, but when I get it, you know what the best advice is the unsolicited advice from close friends who are doing it because they care. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I don't like getting advice from people that I don't know, but, um, you know, and, and, and then you were saying earlier about how men don't say, I love you. The interesting thing is, is that like Dean Blundell, you know, our fearless leader at this, uh, at this network, whenever we get off the phone, he's just like, I love you, brother, you're my mm-hmm. close friend. And I'm fucking thankful to have you as my friend. And Healthy. I'm just like, yeah, I feel the same way. And it feels really good. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like a high five but for more evolved men.
1: I think I'm too British for that, but uh, you might be what what I could, what I could say. I'm well, and and to be honest, a lot of people that were raised like me, you don't show your feelings because it's not safe to show your feelings. And there's a lot of monotones in people raised like me because you don't give it away because Mm. there's appropriate emotional responses and inappropriate emotional responses to things people may say, and you just don't give them anything because then you can have some privacy. But all I'm going to say about being alone because I, I live alone, uh, have a whole song. Probably my most popular song is called I Live Alone. It's on YouTube. Oh. You can watch it. Um, and uh, yeah, people like it because it's honestly about living alone and what that's like. But one thing I've noticed is all of the tyrants of history have had not one but like 15 women somehow under their control and a bunch of kids in all directions, and, and that, that's tyrants. And the wisest people have very often lived alone in nature because they needed to be there to get any thinking done like Walden and, or
0: Diogenes that
1: kind of thing yeah and and we're talking about any prophetic figure including Jesus or Muhammad or any of these guys they always come walking in out of nowhere they're out in the middle of nowhere and they come walking into town and we'll walk in like hey did you guys notice all the whatever and no one noticed the whatever because they live there and they don't see anything whereas you gotta yeah. be an outsider to have the outside perspective to, to understand anything that's interesting
0: uh, Mike Moore uh, this is a great conversation I'm gonna have you back and I really appreciate awesome. yeah, you coming to join us here on Black Ball thank you man
1: Really had a great time. Have a good night. So, all the best. You too.
0: Yeah, that was fun. Um, <clears throat> Mike Moore. He uh, here's his book again. In case anyone wants to go online and order it, his book is called "I Was a Teenage Pharisee: Lying Hypocrite, Offspring of Vipers, Whitewashed Tomb." Um, really cool artwork on the front too. I should have asked him uh, who did the artwork because because it's pretty dope. Um, that was uh, that was that was actually fun. So yes, as I said, tomorrow. Her name is floss and she is from australia and she worked in a cult owned company for i think she said a year and a half and the stories that she has are just amazing it's it's like plymouth brethren week in a sense here uh but only people that never belong to the plymouth brethren christian church (laughs) but people uh, yesterday we had emily victoria who dated uh someone from the church uh today we had mike moore who's from sort of like a very lighter version of the Plymouth Brethren crazy cult. And then tomorrow we'll have floss. And then on Thursday, and I am super excited. I hope some of my uh, listeners have gone to see this man, Sage Francis on YouTube. I, I, I cannot wait to talk to him. I've been, I've been taking in a few of his interviews. I, I, I listened to the interview that he did with brother Ali and I am just super stoked uh, to speak with him. Uh, he, I feel like we have a lot in common and and, and, and and in a good way. You know, the the idea of um listen, there there is a biography of white kids who grew up completely enveloped in hip hop culture and and we all have stories that have a lot of common threads and a lot of differences, but those common threads are 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 eerily similar often. And uh, I can't wait to talk to him. So that'll be on Thursday, and then of course we'll have Casual Friday, on Friday. But until then, we will see you next time on Black Bolt. Black Bolt. black 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 black